Ephesians chapter 1. We covered the book of Ephesians oh, two or three years ago now. Went through this, I think, in a Bible study, if I remember correct. Um, and we did some of this. But I, I love, and as I mentioned last time, uh, I, I love going through Paul's writings. And then and also, for instance, the book of Acts, which kind of is a historical record of some of Paul's journeys, written by a companion, Luke. And, and uh, looking for prayer requests and looking for uh, issues of, the, you know, the topic of prayer with Paul. And there's a number of them. And uh, the big thing is this, uh, you know, we're, we're in a learning process now, right? I mean, as we learn, hopefully we are. I don't think anybody here has arrived or would say you've arrived in the Christian faith and that you can't improve at all. But one thing I have uh, discovered over the years, and it really started right when I first got saved, I remember thinking... How do you pray anyways, you know? What do you say? And often what we do is we listen to other Christians and we pick up maybe what they're saying and uh, you might hear, you know, you might have some of you pray with regularly and, and you can find yourself patterning your, you know, prayers after them. That's not necessarily bad. Uh, I've run into people before and, and knew their history, where they were, you know, saved in a particular church, and I, I hear them, and I hear them praying just like their pastor, who I know, or their, somebody else in their family that I know, and uh, th- that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it could be if you just are praying a rote prayer and not really getting out, but I think the best thing is to look at Scripture, and if you read the prayers in Scripture, you can really learn how to pray, I think. Um, it doesn't mean we only read them and, and copy them verbatim. People do that. But to look at them and examine them and kind of hopefully mull over them in our own life and then say, Lord, help me to pray. And that's what the disciples said, and they teach us to pray. Uh, and the Lord did teach them to pray. And we have their, some of their prayer requests as we look through Scripture. We come to this one in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and this is right after a doxology of praise that Paul gives And then he launches into a, uh, really a prayer. He says this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And look at this one. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his, uh, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the word of God tonight. And as we look at this topic again of prayer, I would ask, Lord, you teach us to pray. Help us to know Christ as we should and uh, to grow in that relationship that we have. And we ask this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You could uh, title this, Open the Eyes of My Heart. And uh, there is certainly a psalm that says that as well. 
but here in the New Testament, and this phrase actually appears further on in verse 17, where he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, one of the things that uh, Paul was praying for, and, and he says, I pray for you, and that is, I, I don't think, an understatement. He was praying for the Ephesian believers. They were regulars on his prayer list. And as he was doing that, uh, he was praying for certain things. And the heart of it was that he was praying that they would know Christ better. And uh, as I listen, and, and this isn't to criticize, but I say, as I've listened over the years to prayer requests, when you ask people for prayer requests, that's not one that usually comes up very regularly. I mean, people have said things like that, or, you know, help me, you know, Lord, pray the Lord would help me in my spiritual walk or my, my devotion to him. Those, that's on the same line. But to really think about it and say, Lord, I, I want to be more like you and I want to know you, to know you. That's the heart of Paul's prayer. And you think of the things he could have prayed for for the Ephesian believers. Uh, That church at Ephesus was a young church, a very solid church. We know later on in the book of Revelation when Christ addresses the seven churches and he talks about Ephesus, he commends them for their, their works, their action, their strength and doctrine, their practice, all those things. They were all in line. Now, they had left their first love. That was a problem. And if you think back to Paul's prayer... Really, that's what he was praying for, that they would know Christ. And, they, you know, and the word he uses to know means to know intimately, like someone that you would know who you love and you have had a relationship with, a long-term relationship with, that kind of knowledge, not just an intellectual knowledge. And that's what Paul's praying for, that we might know him in the wisdom of Christ in all those things. And he makes mention of, of you in his prayers, he says. And he could have prayed for a lot of other things. He could have, and he may have, but he, it wasn't the most important thing. But he could have prayed for them to be free of persecution. And we say that sometimes, Lord, keep me safe, or Lord, uh, help me, give me mercies as I travel, those kind of things. And, and again, that, there's nothing wrong with doing that. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we, what we would call the Lord's Prayer, uh, he said, you know, and deliver us from evil. Okay, that's proper to pray that along the line. Lord, keep me from, you know, evil. All right. Guard me. I'm sure there's some Christian police officers tonight in the state of Maine that are, are praying that prayer, you know, and others praying that for them. Um, and but sometimes evil will visit us anyways. And sometimes it's perfectly in keeping with God's will for something terrible and bad to happen. Uh, when you think of the Ephesian believers, some of them, uh, they didn't face great waves of persecution there, but later on, believers around them did. Some of them, the church at Smyrna, not too far away from there, was suffering great persecution in that time. And yet, the Lord was there in the midst with his candlestick, right? I mean, that's what it talks about, the light. And he is there. He's with his churches uh, in those things. And so, the prayer here was that um, and, he, and he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention you, of you in my prayers. That was a constant thing. And uh, I can imagine if we were there in the first century with the Apostle Paul, I don't know if I'd want to be accompanying him because he was in a lot of hard places. <laughs> but if we were, and we were privy to that, we would have heard him regularly praying for the church at Ephesus and the people that are there, probably by name. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
in the knowledge of him. And as I mentioned, the word to know, um, there, there's several words to know. Um, there is, a, in, in, the word, in the Greek language anyways, there is that word to know something intellectually. And you get that certainly from reading the Bible. And you can read about the Bible and you can know more about Christ. I kind of was probably at that, not at a very deep level, but I, I had a superficial knowledge of Jesus Christ when I was growing up. I knew he died on a cross. I knew he was important. He was a historical figure, uh, did some miracles, uh, but I didn't know him. And probably many of you could say the same thing. You didn't know him personally in, in a relationship. And that's often, my, my uh, daughter said yesterday, uh, we were talking about, uh, she asked what a Protestant was. And I said, well, this is a name, you know, a term that, that people gave to people who protested against Catholicism. We were just talking about that. And she said, oh, okay. But I said, you know, I call myself a Christian. And that's what the Bible says. And other people may put a label on you. And a lot of names that people go by today are, are labels someone else has put on them. And, but she said, oh, that's because we want to have a relationship and not just religion. And I said, wow, that's exactly right. So I'm glad she listened to that somewhere, right? And that's true. We want a relationship with Christ. And that's the knowledge that Paul's talking about here. It's a, it conveys the idea of a deep intimacy, knowing somebody and that's the, the kind of knowledge we want, not just an intellectual knowledge. And um, there are, are three levels of that as well. The first level for the believer is kind of the experiential knowledge. I, when I first came to Christ and I, I bowed my heart before him and said, Lord, I believe, and, and I had repented of my sins, that attitude, and coming to him in faith, all that, I, I knew something different Took, went on in my heart for sure and in my life I was all of a sudden conscious of God in a way I had never been and that salvation you know that's an experience definitely I didn't know a lot about it though as far as the actual you know what the Bible taught and the theological ramifications of my salvation all the promises of God all those things that I'm still learning about that is the second level and that comes through your Bible knowledge and listening to sermons and uh, talking to other believers that can sharpen you or going to a college or those kind of things. And certainly we can learn about that. But then there's the, the third level. And Paul alludes to this. He says that uh, may give to you the spirit of wisdom. And that third level, I think, is the, the level that really distinguishes between someone who's just sitting on the bench and someone who's playing in the game. Uh, if you think about it, you know, uh, all of us, you know, have whatever, not, maybe not all our sports fans, but you have some kind of thing that, you know, you, that it takes your interest. And if you think about sports, for example, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's great to be able to sit on the bench and cheer, cheer them on and all that, but it's a whole other thing to actually be in the game, all right, and actually playing, all right. And most of us, you know, are past those years probably of playing in the games. But uh, I, I say that that is the kind of wisdom that comes from those previous two levels and it's played out only knowing Christ and Paul says I want you to I want you to be in the game to be wise and to make decisions based on that and that's also the difference between that kind of wisdom anyways which require level one and level two all right they're prerequisites uh, but it will take us from just the gimme prayers like give me this and give me that uh, to more of a prayer that says make me like okay 
Um, give me wisdom like Christ in that way. If we're going to ask for something to give. Ray Pritchard uh, said something interesting. I like this. He says, I see prayer lifting the illiterate to great levels of peace and wisdom where certain PhDs in religion may feel empty. And that's true. There are people that have all kinds of titles behind their name and all kinds of degrees uh, in theology and religion and all the other uh, different areas of study. And, and they will, usually the guys that people interview or put in a book and things like that, and some of them don't have a clue. Actually, many of them don't have a clue about the wisdom of God in that. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, that's, you know, that's a huge thing. I remember... <laughs> A guy interviewing, this was years ago, he was interviewing a priest who had written several books. And he asked a very simple question to the man. He said, why is it that you don't believe that the, the work of Christ is finished? Because after all, the Bible says when Christ, it was, he was finished. And then, you know, he used that analogy and all that. And it was interesting, it kind of put the man back. And I, I really felt bad for him because he just sat there and he kind of scratched his head and he said, I really don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer for that. I thought, but you've just written all kinds of books. And he had written several very weird books about, you know, Christianity and Buddhism and how they are, you know, the same, you know, kind of way and all this stuff. And we could borrow from each other's. And, and I thought, wow, you know, it's, well, he's way off the mark. But, but he had no concept of the basic things because he probably didn't know Christ. And, I, you know, I leave that to the Lord to judge. But certainly that stuff happens, doesn't it? Uh, the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer, right? Sweet Hour of Prayer. Thy wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. And you, you sense from the author of that hymn just that wisdom grace all those things from on high that we ought to be seeking in that time of prayer god invites us to seek his face and to know him better to know him better look at verse 18 here and he says this the eyes of your understanding being enlightened and the word for understanding there is uh, heart it is the the word for heart actually and meaning the seat of the real you, not the cardiac muscle. Uh, and I think other translations have it as heart. But the eyes of your heart. The eyes of your understanding. And it's an interesting phrase. Again, it appears um, uh, only here in the New Testament. That's the only time it's used. And Paul asks a prayer for the, the eyes of our understanding to be opened, okay? Or enlightened, um, that's what we call discernment from the wisdom on high, but that leads to discernment. And, and again, that too is something that, uh, you know, is important. We, we live in a very scary world, right? And a lot of the fears that are drive us is simply because, you know, our eyes of understanding the big picture isn't there. You, you think of someone who, an unsafe person who, you know, they look out and they, they see on the horizon, you know, maybe war coming in the Middle East or they see those kind of things. And, and you know, those are worrying things. But, you know, we know from the scriptures 
that there will someday be a great war in the Middle East again. And Israel will be in the crosshairs up until the time Christ returns. Uh, those things are in keeping with the Bible. So if those things, as Christ says, as you see the day approaching, right? I mean, you know, as we're, we're admonished in Scripture, as, the day, as we see the day approaching. Now, I don't believe I'll have to go through great tribulation, but I do believe that we will probably see the, the birth pangs of those things before that takes place. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't at all. Now, we could be scared, I guess, in a, in a way, you know, just saying, I don't want something bad happening to me, a, a fear of things, but don't have to be driven by that fear. That's different. That's the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. And you think about how it is when you're, uh, <laughs> if you've ever lost your vision, even temporarily, or had, a, I remember, <laughs> this was funny, sort of funny in hindsight, uh, one summer we were staying at River of Life Bible Camp and we were living there and we, it was after the camping season had closed off and we had, um, I think it was anyways, but anyways, we had a thunderstorm or something came through that night and it knocked the power out and it was overcast and we had no lights at all on the campground and it was pitch black in the trailer that we were sleeping in. And I mean, I just rolled over, went right back to sleep. I mean, we didn't have indoor plumbing or anything anyways, so it didn't matter, you know. I'm like, it didn't affect anything in the trailer. And uh, my son, Sam, he was just a little guy. Uh, I don't know how old he would have been, maybe three. Uh, He woke up and in the middle of the night, and I hear this, my eyes aren't working. My eyes aren't working. And uh, we kind of chuckle at it now. He was dead serious. He was scared. He did not, He thought he was gone blind here as a three-year-old because he couldn't see a thing. It was just so dark. It was one of those nights. He didn't even have any shadows in the room or anything. He just thought his eyes weren't working. Well, he just didn't have any light, you know? And it's a scary thing when you live in a world with no light, all right? And honestly, the unsaved go through life, and, and honestly, many Christians go through life not having their heart enlightened, and therefore, everything becomes a scary world, and they make very poor choices and very you know, bad decisions and things, and, and just need to go back through the scriptures to, to enlighten ourselves. And I think of that because you know, really that, uh, that's what Paul is talking about here when he says um, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The word enlightened means filled with light. The floodlight goes on, you know. And you all of a sudden can see, you know, all the things that are around and stuff. And that makes a huge difference, doesn't it? He goes on to say this, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That is even more specific. Uh, The hope of his calling. I think every single Christian has a general call, which is to be more like Christ. But we have a specific call, too, in our life. And that means, you know... The, the Lord can give us discernment that only comes through prayer. And, you know, prerequisite to that is the knowledge of Scripture and also um, an experience with Him, a true salvation experience. Those are already a given. But through prayer, we actually can know His will and have the hope of His calling. Uh, several times in my own life, I've experienced that where we have just didn't know the next step. And God just revealed it. Uh, I remember... Uh, we were in St. Louis, Missouri back in 1994, my wife and I. We were just married, and I, we'd gone to candidate school with Berean Mission. And we, at that point, I actually thought I was going to be going to Great Britain as a missionary because I, I sensed God wanting me to go to uh, Europe 
And that was the only field that Berean had open, and Berean mission had been clearly indicated as the group that the Lord wanted me with, and that's a whole other story. And uh, that was kind of the way we set off. And I got married, and they required me to go back to candidate school because my wife had to go through that. And, and all of a sudden, they presented a new field of opportunity, the former Soviet Union. Uh, the CIS, it was called then, Commonwealth of Independent States, and uh, presented that. They had just gone in and done survey work, our mission had, and they were looking for candidates that might want to go there, all right, and, and serve. And the countries they had in mind were Belarus and Russia and Ukraine. And I had, uh, for a long time, my heart had been in Eastern Europe that way because uh, back when I was in the military, God had called me to be, you know, to preach and to be a missionary. I knew that was going to, uh, and that was in the, the circumstances there. Anyways, long story short, we had had that presentation. I never said anything to my wife, and, and we just kind of went back to our place we were staying. We were lying there in bed, and I could tell she wasn't sleeping, and she could tell I wasn't sleeping. And, and she says, are you thinking about the CIS? And I said, yes, I am. And we had been praying about that, and the Lord just made a peace in our hearts like that. And we, we set off to, to go there, you know, um, and got there finally and all that. But... It was a very much a sense of his, his direction. I mean, boom. And you, just, you couldn't know. I felt like if I said no, I'd be disobedient and terribly, you know. And, I, and I've had that other times, too. I had that when Vinnie Morno sat down with me, believe it or not. You don't know it, but the Lord uses you sometimes. You know that. Yeah. Uh, we were in, at MBBI, and church had asked us to consider coming here. And I remember asking Vinnie. You weren't even coming here at the time, Vinnie, but I... He was in Heartland, and we went out for coffee, and I asked him a few questions, and he said, I, I said, I don't know what the Lord would have us to do. And uh, he said, well, we'll pray for you, and you'll know. And you told me you'd know in 30 days. That's what he said. In 30 days, you'll know. I thought, wow, that's bold. Well, in three days, we knew. I mean, we absolutely knew, and the Lord directed us here. And I, I, there's been a few times where, yeah, and I might, might be saying, oh, me now, I don't know. But... Uh, you blame him, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's right. But I'll tell you this. There's times where you just say, I don't know what's... There's good choices here. Two or three sometimes. And which one? You put it before him, he'll give you that. And I'm thankful for that. And there's been times I've made poor decisions when I didn't do that. All right? And I, could, I won't go into all those, but I'll tell you, there's a few times where I can look back and say, shouldn't have done that. But the Lord got me back on track or did something else. Lack of understanding, and that's really where he talks about here, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Um, what Paul's praying for here is that we would also know what is our inheritance. Honestly, if I think we really, really, really understood what awaits the Christian we would be trying to get out of here as quick as possible. Now, I don't condone going out and killing yourself to get to heaven. That's not the point. But we wouldn't be clinging to this earth like we do. And it's mostly we cling to it because it's familiar. And it's maybe we've made a safe place for now or whatever. But honestly, when sometimes those things fall apart and our health goes and everything, then you say, well, it's time. I need to go. Well, we could be preparing now. We really could. And be excited about it. You think about all the things he's given us. And it's interesting here, he says this, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Do you know that the greatest thing about heaven, it isn't the place as much as the person who's there. 
and the people who are there, right? God's people. But the person of Jesus Christ is what you get. Now, you get a lot in heaven. I mean, we, we know a little bit about it from Scripture where it talks about that street of gold and, you know, the, the crystal sea, right? I mean, you, you, it talks about the, the dwelling places there that just no sin, no death, no weeping, no, no anything that would cause us fear. All those things are gone. But the greatest is that Christ is there and we get him. And I think of that because sometimes when you're away and you're traveling and you say, man, I, I just want to get home, all right? Now, sometimes maybe you're talking about the brick and mortar and all that, but it's, not, it's more than that usually, isn't it? If you have people back home waiting for you, uh, maybe it's your friends, your family, your whatever, you're talking about them. I want to get back home to my people. And that's what heaven is like. And Paul's saying... He wants you to understand the riches that await us in Christ. All right? And I know it's in Christ because the previous section of Ephesians 1 talks about all those things, right? You remember he talks about verse 3. I'll just read these quickly. Blessed with, blessed with every spiritual blessing, right? Chosen in Christ, verse 4. Predestined to be adopted as sons. That's a relationship he's talking about. Recipients of his grace. Redeemed through his blood. Forgiveness of sins, wisdom and understanding. Verse 8, God's plan made known to us. Verses 9, 10, chosen and predestined again, he talks about. Included in Christ, verse 13, sealed by the Holy Spirit, verse 13. Given the earnest of the Spirit, verse 14. He goes right down through those verses and, and lays out those promises that we have. And then he culminates, it, you know, kind of uses it as an as a argument or, you know, a good way. Um, in his prayer, saying that we might know these things, all right? That's the result of what we get, that we might know. The riches of his inheritance in the saints. And as I said, that's going to a person, and it's going to people that have gone before us. I have a few more people over there that I know, you know, that I would like to see again. <laughs> a lot of people. Seems like every year there's more and more, right? And uh, pretty soon you get to a point where there are more over there than here that you know, all right? I remember a few years back sitting down with a pastor who was in his uh, mid-80s at that point, and uh, he, was, he was getting out of ministry uh, because his mind was going on him, and uh he said, I've buried everybody that I knew. <laughs> and it's true. He had done more funerals probably than any, uh, probably any pastor in the state, <laughs> if, I, if I was to add it up, because he was just a go-to guy to do funerals over the, especially the last 20 years of his ministry, because there were people that he had ministered to and knew him, and they wanted him to do it. And he lived, outlived mo most of them in that. And I, and I think of that because your heart tugs to go home because of Christ, because of loved ones, um, the saints, all right? That's what it's referring to there in that. What time is it here? I'll move along. Also, all that God has provided, that's another thing. Look what he says. In what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Now, it's an interesting rendering in the Greek here because he uses four words for power, okay? They're all different words, and they're, they're somewhat different here in the English also. 
but and what is the exceeding greatness okay um of his power that that's talking about a phrase there about the the dynamite kind of power the you know the power that you would say is potential power that is there but also to those who believe according to the working that's the word for like energy okay he not only gives us the power all right as in you know the potential there but also the energy that goes with it all right need to have it and then the working of his mighty power that's a different word again and that word for mighty power uh, carries with the idea of a boldness, a courage, that kind of bravery that accompanies it. We need all those, by the way, every last one of them. And God's power is sufficient for every need that we have. And as we gather in prayer every week, we, we can rely on that, or every day, you can rely on that as well. And those are the things that should help us overcome like, for instance, that last part, according to the working of his mighty power, uh, and which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Again, that uh, idea of the resurrection of Christ, the hope for every believer. That means I can face death. I told you last week about my friend Calvin, and I mentioned April 1st. That's just a few weeks ago now. You know, he said to his wife, very very weak but he said the tomb is empty and i'm thankful and what was he doing he was clinging to that hope that the tomb is empty therefore i'm also death isn't going to get me you know not permanently and in those intervening weeks he's gone home to heaven it's been over a week now that he's in heaven and i think of that because that's that's how we have to face even death yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death hmm and that is true as true as it ever was i don't have to fear not at all and over and over again the scriptures are filled with promises about our fears and that's the kind of mighty power that we need to overcome stuff don't we even in a time of death and honestly i as a as a pastor i have i've sat with a lot of people going through that i've counseled a lot of loved ones who've seen a seen someone die and and I've, I've witnessed it myself, and I, I, I don't know what death is really like because I haven't gone through it. Uh, I can see it a little bit, but we, none of us here that are still alive anyways, you know what, we don't know what death's like, but I know one who, who does. And for the Christian, you never die alone. doesn't matter if you're out there in the desert somewhere, no one even sees you or gets your body. If you know Christ, he's with you. And to lay down this whole carcass somewhere is, is just a passing, is all it is. And we go right into his presence. And that old body someday will be raised up. And whatever state it's in, it's going to be gathered together and made new again. And all that is because of his mighty power. The same power that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then he says, Far above all principality, and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and i think that's just reassuring because you might not have been a, a anybody here that somebody knows or will remember your name in a hundred years i mean probably if i went around this room and said all right guys where were your great grandparents buried some of you might know that but if i said your great great grandparents where were they buried eh, that's getting a little harder Maybe they're right here. I don't know. But you know what I mean? We forget in the course of a hundred years, even our ancestry, but not Christ. 
And you know what? In the age to come, in the ages to come, that's eternity is what he's talking about, we still have that relationship. And it's all in him. It's because of Jesus Christ, completely. So we keep praying, and that's, that's part of Paul's prayer. And then he says in this, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And then it continues there a, a little further. But I just want to, just a few thoughts tonight is all it is, and I, I hope that it helps us tonight to even refocus more. Uh, we have lots of good requests and stuff, but let's put at the top of our list tonight, Lord, make me more like you, and Lord, work on some things, maybe things that we've talked about here tonight in that as well. Father, we come before you. We thank you this evening for your word. We pray you'd bless it to us. But Lord, I pray also that your word would give us true wisdom as we pray through it, as we look to know you more. And even tonight, Lord, we'd leave this place having drawn closer to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.